0: Open your Bibles to the book of Mark. We're going to look at a couple of key passages as we continue our study of Jesus Christ's plan for making disciples of all nations. The master's plan of disciple making. In Mark chapter 1, we saw how Jesus is taking his disciples from that first phase of disciple making, the come and see. He said, come and see what I'm doing. And they came and they observed. And then the next step in that process is the come and follow me part. And that's where we are right now. And Jesus is walking them through uh, the different aspects of the the life that he's gonna call them to. Remember, we talked a a few weeks ago about how Jesus set those four foundational principles for his disciples, those foundational practices to to spend time in prayer, fellowship with his father, to, to spend time sharing Christ with others. We call that witnessing or sharing our faith. To, to have a, an opportunity to have fellowship with other believers and then ultimately to spend time in the, the word. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, that, that one foundational uh, calling, basic of the Christian life, being established in the word of God. Would you look with me at Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21? It'd help if I was at the right page. Then they went into Capernaum and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. Teach. And they were astonished at his teaching because unlike the scribes, he was teaching them as one having authority. Immediately after Jesus says to them, come and follow me, come and leave your your fishing business and I'm going to make you fish for people, come and follow me. Immediately after that, he takes them to the synagogue, the place of worship, and he starts to teach them truth. The Bible says that they were astounded, they were astonished, they were amazed at the truth that Jesus was teaching. He lets them know that the word of God, he was the living word of God, can you imagine the living word of God, the logos, the word that had become flesh, standing or sitting there in the synagogue, teaching them the truth of the written word of God, which would have been the Old Testament prophets and, and all that had been written to that point. And they were astounded by that. Now I want us to take that concept, that that reality, that that's what he's wanting to to teach them, to accomplish in their lives, and look at the book of Colossians in the New Testament as Paul was writing the church at Colossae, uh, addressing some challenges that they were having there with false teaching. But in Colossians chapter two, verse six, he makes an important statement about this need for us to be grounded. And I want us to take this and apply this to being grounded in the truth today. Colossians chapter two, Verse 6, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. Now, uh, let me stop there. There's a whole sermon there about we've received Jesus Christ by faith, by grace through faith. And he challenges us as believers to walk the same way that we've been saved. In other words, you are not saved by grace through faith and you walk and you you, uh, are approved by works. He says you are saved by grace through faith and you live by grace through faith. So that's a whole nother sermon that you're not gonna get today. But look at the next truth in verse seven. This is what he calls them to do. Walk as you have received him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught overflowing with gratitude. Would you look at that? He calls them Paul calling the church at Colossae, and I believe the Lord calling us to be rooted, to be built up, to be established. Another word in other translations is to be be grounded in the faith. When we built this building, all debt free, praise the Lord, the first thing we had to do once we cleared the land was to pour the foundation. And when they told us how much money it would cost to pour the foundation, I did not show it visibly, but my jaw dropped inside, you know. Uh, They want that much money And I discovered why Because we dug these huge trenches And laid all this rebar Incredible foundation And poured all this concrete And I saw then that this thing isn't blowing away Because everything we put on that foundation Is bolted down We, We saw the importance of being grounded Established, rooted When you build a building And Jesus is saying This is how I want your Christian life to be To be grounded, to be rooted To be established in the faith I wanna look at a few key statements that'll allow us to understand what it's gonna to take to be grounded and established in the word of God. Here's the first truth. When we think about the word, and us as followers of Christ going to the word, we have to begin with spiritual preparation. Now that's, that should not have to be said, that should be a no-brainer. You should all one in one collective voice say, duh, pastor, but that has to be said. When I come to the word of God, I am not just opening a book to read. I'm not reading a novel. I'm not reading a storybook. I'm not reading about a bunch of characters once upon a time. I am reading the truth of the word of God and I have to prepare my heart spiritually for that. And here's where it starts. I have to trust in his word. I have to trust in the word of God. That's important to say, Lord, as I come to your word, this is not another book. This is your revelation of yourself to me. This is your revealing of the truth of God to your people. This is your love letter to me, God, and it is it is truth without any error. Look, look with me at 2 Timothy chapter three. A few books you have first and second Thessalonians after that. Um, look at 2 Timothy that comes right after that. 2 Timothy chapter three. Verse 16, we'll come back to this a few times, but I just want to highlight one phrase there. Again, Paul writing to Timothy about the word of God, and this is what the word of God says about itself. All scripture is inspired by God. Stop right there. All scripture is inspired by God. The literal translation of that is God-breathed. This is not a book written by man, this is a book written by God. We used to say, the the Bible has this many authors and the author of this book, I like to say it this way, the Bible has one author, that's God, and many human writers. That's maybe a technicality, but that helps me understand that God gave this book as an inspired book, it is truth without any error. You have to come to that. Billy Graham shares in his personal testimony about when he felt this call to, to the ministry he had trusted Christ as a savior, but he was struggling with some of the, what he saw as questions that were unanswered in the word of God. Maybe in his mind as a young, young man, some maybe inconsistencies that he couldn't get a handle on. And let me tell you folks, there, there, there's a lot in this word that I can't explain to you. But like Billy Graham did, he went out one night and he stood there and he said, God, right now, right where I am, I believe it was in a, an open field, he said, I take this as your word. I'm not gonna question it anymore. I accept it. And the stuff I can't understand, I'm going to accept that too. Folks, you have to do that. By the way, if I could explain it all to you, it would take some of the majesty out of it. If I could explain God to you, he wouldn't be God. Trust in God's word. Have you seen the bumper sticker? God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Man, what a a great affirmation of faith. I saw that bumper sticker and I thought about it. Maybe it needs to be edited a little bit. God said it, that settles it. Does it make any difference whether I'm gonna say I believe it or not? It is God's word and that, sett- that settles it. But as I come to it, I need to say, God, I'm gonna trust you that your word is settled in heaven and I accept it as your truth. Second thing I need to do as I go to God's word is I need to depend on God's spirit. I trust in God's word. I depend on God's spirit. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter two. First Corinthians chapter two. Verse nine. But it is written, As it is written, I, what I did not see, and what ear did not hear, and what never entered the human mind, God has prepared for those who love him. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the deep things of God. Jump down to verse 12 with me. We've not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. Paul goes on to explain that a person who's not a believer can't understand the Word of God because they don't have the Spirit of God. When I come to the Word of God, I have to depend on the Spirit of God to be my teacher. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14, I will send another counselor to you. I will send a, a comforter to you. And when he comes to you, he will teach you all things and remind you of all things that he taught you. I have to depend on the Spirit of God. Let me tell you, folks, there are times when I go to God's Word and I read it and I say, God, um, I, I think I got it, but I need your spirit to help me get it. Does that make sense? I, I need to understand that your spirit just needs to make your word truth that's alive in my life. Depend on the spirit of God. When you read, to say, God, right now, open my eyes. I pray that when I read. I pray it when I preach. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your instruction. Depend on his spirit. The third part of this spiritual preparation that is essential, I have to be open to God's will. I've got to trust his word. I've got to depend on his spirit. I must be open to his will. What would you do if your kids came to you and said, Mom, Dad, I don't plan on obeying anything you tell me, but I'm going to sit right here and let you give me some instructions Would you be real comfortable giving them instructions if they preface it with, I really don't want to do what you want me to do, but go ahead and go through the motions. I mean, tell me what the rules are, mom and dad, but I'm not going to obey them because i got my own plan. You'd probably do whatever you do, pick them up and apply some understanding to the seed of knowledge or whatever. (laughs) But how many of us come to God's word that way? Okay, God, speak to me. And there's that nagging, for lack of a better word. I've been speaking to you about that relationship that's not right. Yeah, God, I've talked to that person and they're not approachable. God, speak to me. Give me truth from your word. What about that attitude you have? Yeah, Lord, but you know my background. Oh, God, speak to me. And he's speaking. Basically, what we're saying is, God, I don't want your will for me. I want something different. There has to be an openness to that. Mark Twain said, that great theologian, not. Most people are bothered by those passages of Scripture that they do not understand. But the passages that bother me are the ones that I do understand See, God has revealed a whole lot of truth to us, and we're out there searching for more truth, and God just says, why don't you obey what you've seen clearly? Yeah, yeah, but, but God, what about the natives in Africa? I don't I want to get it. What about the second coming? What about all the signs? And God is saying, Man, I'm showing you clearly that I want you to follow me in obedience, that I want you to be spirit filled, that I want you to submit to me, that I want you to say, and we're not doing any of that. We've got to be open to the will of God. To the will of God. A seminary professor was telling a given an account of a man he met in the Holy Land on one of his travels there. He ran into this man who claimed to have memorized the whole Old Testament. And so he thought that was pretty cool, so he decided to test him. And he opened up his Hebrew text and began to test this guy to see if he had memorized the Old Testament. And sure enough, every passage he went to, this guy had a handle on it. And the more he talked to that man who had memorized most of the Old Testament, he found out the guy was an atheist, And it puzzled him that this man could know all of that biblical truth yet have never committed his life to the God of the Bible. How often do we live that way? We get all this biblical information and insight, but we live as if he doesn't even exist. Trust in his word. Depend on his spirit. Be open to his will. That's how we prepare our hearts or studying his word. Number two, we need to establish sound Bible study principles. Sound Bible study principles. Sound practices, I think is what I put in your outline. Are you all looking puzzled? Sound Bible study practices. Listen to 2 Timothy, or turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. You found 2 Timothy a minute ago. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a a worker who does not need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Some translations say correctly handling the word of truth. There is this calling that we have that when we come to the word of God, we must have sound Bible study practices. And I've just listed just a couple generalizing everything that, that goes into approaching the Bible. I have to pay attention to the content of the word of God. Pay attention to the content. What does it say? See, before I can say what does it mean for me, I have to start with what does it say? What, what is God, what's the truth God is trying to communicate to his original readers, his original hearers? Then I can step on and talk about some other cultural things we'll talk about it in a minute, but I just have to look at the word of God and pay attention to the content. That means I have to be in it. I have to be reading the Bible. I have to understand the way it's laid out and that we have an Old Testament and a New Testament and we have different books of the Bible and we have different genres and I need to understand that as I go to the Bible. Pay attention to the content. Am I reading a prophet? Am I reading a poet? Am I reading a person who is giving a prophetic word to the future? Am I reading a prophet who's giving a word of uh, rebuke right then? Am I reading a letter like 2 Timothy that Paul is reading? I need to understand the content of what I'm reading. Got to be in it. If you haven't established a Bible reading plan to read through the Bible, start small. We talk about this every year. Uh, Find a way just to methodically go through the Bible so many plans online, so many apps now on your phone. You, it's, it's really easy to do. You need to be in the word, observing the content. I, I love the story about the college student who went away and his parents gave him a Bible. And they inserted $20 bills at different places in the Bible. And, and he would call home and ask for money. And they would, they would quote scripture to him, the verse scripture. And they say, you know what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2? A workman needs to be diligent, not ashamed. Oh, yeah, 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 I've read that. Yeah. Yeah, but Mom and dad, really need some money. <laughs> you know, it says in the Bible, trust in the Lord with all your heart in, in Proverbs. Lean not on your understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're reading your Bible read it. Yeah, but mom and dad, I need some money. <laughs> they had placed money in every one of those places where it was there for him. He didn't take advantage of it. You've got to be in the word for the word to benefit you. Secondly, we have to pay attention to the context, to the context. Not only do we have prophecy, history, poetry, epistles or or letters, we have the gospels and acts that are narratives, we have all of those things, and when you open the word of God and read it, you need to understand that's what you're reading, that's the importance of context, but you need to move beyond that and understand that there are different figures of speech in the Bible. You need to know if you're reading something that's, that's Paul being sarcastic in his challenge to people, where Jesus is using uh, exaggeration. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. Those kinds of things. If, if your arm should offend you, cut it off. Those, those words, you, you look at those and you understand that Jesus was trying to communicate truth. You need to see the context there. Often people have questions about Scripture, and it just if you would just look at the context... I, 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 if I take a verse by itself, I can make it say almost anything. Have you noticed that? But if I will take that verse and understand that verse was written in the context of a, a paragraph, which I love the new translations that break down the paragraphs. It helps so much. Even if you have a, an older translation with just the verses, sometimes the, the numbers are highlighted bold so that you know that that's a new paragraph. I, I need to understand that paragraph and then I have to understand that paragraph in the context of the, the whole book. And then I take that whole book and understand in the context of the type of literature it is and then the context of the whole word itself. Pay attention to that context when you read the Bible, when you study it. You need to have the word of God a part of your life. Don't do like the emperor of Ethiopia back in the 1800s and when he wasn't feeling good, he'd eat a page of scripture so he'd feel better. That's What he did, when he didn't feel good, he thought, I'll, I'm gonna eat the Bible. I'm gonna eat the word because he'd heard people say, you need the word of God, you need to feast on the manna of God's word and he would eat a page of scripture whenever he got sick. It doesn't work that way, does it? We could sell it on the street corners a page at a time if that's all it took. It is a, it is a spiritual book. It is God communicating to us, and it has to be taken in spiritually. Well, number three, and this is, this is really the heart of what I was going to say today. I won't spend as much time on point number three as I did one and two, though, okay? So some of you panicked. I know that. Number three, as I approach the word of God, I need to focus on the proper outcome. I need to focus on the proper outcome. Back at 2 Timothy chapter 3 with me, that verse 16, I stopped short of this phrase. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word of God is given to us to profit us, to change us. To make a difference in our lives. Transformation. D.L. Moody said the scriptures were not given for our information, but for our transformation. What would happen if every member of Coastal Oaks Church approached the scripture that way? This Bible study is not just for me to get information about God, but for God to transform my life. This is one of my, um, it's not a pet peeve. It can't be spiritual if it's a pet peeve, can it? Um, This is one of my passions, how about that? (laughs) To, To really remind people that that's what the word of God is given to us for, not so we can fill up our heads with knowledge. God spare us from people who have all this head knowledge and information about him, but it's so that it can take root in the heart and change your life. Now, give me a person who's passionate about Christ and knows three verses that he lives or she lives over a person who could recite the whole book of Matthew who doesn't live it. What's the point? Well, but I've been to this seminar, and I've, I've listened to Beth Moore, and I've done her study, and I've done Kay Arthur's study, and I've done J. Bernard McGee's study, and I've just list the list, and I've... I've I've studied Charles Stanley stuff and just list it all. So what? Give me somebody that says, you know what, I learned this truth and I'm living it. Proper outcome. I heard a story about a South Sea islander. I've shared this before. and um, He had been given a Bible by some missionaries years before World War II. And World War II came and of course, the American troops began to make their way through the islands. And a GI came to this this islander, and the islander said, look, I I have a Bible in English that some missionaries gave me. And that GI said, I don't care about that stuff. I don't believe that. And the islander said, well, it's a good thing that I believe it, because if I didn't, you would have been our supper. (laughs) So could God's word really transform a cannibal into a Christ follower? You bet. It's happened all over the world. Can God's word really transform an atheist, an agnostic, an infidel, a disbeliever into a passionate preacher of the gospel? You bet. Let me give you this practical way of remembering how to get in the word. I didn't make this one up. I borrowed this from somebody I've used it twice, so now I can say it's mine, but uh, that's a joke, it's a joke. You know, pastors, they say, the first time you quote someone, you name who they were. The second time you quote it, you said, I've heard it said. The third time you quote it, you say, I've always thought. So anyway, that's where we are, we're there. I didn't come up with this. Specs. When you you put on the word of God, when you go to the word of God, think about putting on your specs. We've talked about this before, but let's just go through these. The first S, I need to ask, is there a sin to confess? If I'm approaching the word of God, the outcome needs to be transformation. I have to ask, is there a sin to confess? The Bible says, if I regard sin or iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear my prayer. If I come to God with sin, unconfessed sin, he is not obligated to teach me anything from his word, except for me to deal with that sin. Is there any sin that I need to confess? That's just a sensitivity to sin. Love the story about the visiting pastor. He had gone to a church and they were thinking about calling him to be their new pastor. And he walked around and came to a junior high boys' Sunday school class, and um, they were studying. and the, And the pastor, the new pastor, just kind of interrupted. He thought, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna." Just grill these junior high boys, see what they know. He said, "Uh, who knocked down the walls of Jericho, guys? And they all just scratched their head and couldn't figure out. They didn't come up with an answer. And the teacher of the class said, Pastor, we're not sure who did that, but we'll find out and we'll get back to you as soon as we find out which one of these kids is responsible for that. (laughs) And I don't advocate that. But there's some folks that are thinking, we must have done something wrong, or he wouldn't be asking us that question. Could you come to the word of God and say, I must have done something wrong, or I wouldn't need to be here. Is there any sin to confess? The letter P, is there a promise to claim? Is there a promise to claim? <sighs> Someone said you can't break God's promises by leaning on them. I like Guys, there a promise from your word that I need to claim and cling to today? I love, what we sing here based on scripture that we get week after week that god doesn't let go that he's faithful that there are ten thousand reasons to praise him the promises of scripture that we cling to e is there an example to follow is there an example to follow writer of hebrews says that there is a great cloud of witnesses and regardless of your understanding of that they're either the people that have gone on before us that are witnessing us, watching us, cheering us on, or they're the witnesses of Hebrews chapter 11 who we look at their lives and, and say, this is, this is the witness testifying to whatever it is. The, the, the bottom line is the same. Scripture is full of examples that I'm to follow. Is there an example to follow? See, is there a command to obey? Is God saying to me, Kevin, you need to do this? Is there a command to obey? And the last S, Is there a stumbling block to avoid? Is there a stumbling block that I need to avoid? As I read this scripture, maybe I'm I'm reading about a person like David and how David, at one point in his life, even though he's a man after God's own heart, failed to put some boundaries in his life. I believe David's sin with Bathsheba was part of that failure to put a boundary in his life. Is there a stumbling block in my life that I need to avoid? A lot of times we say, well, the Bible doesn't say I can't do that, but I have to be careful. Maybe there's something I need to leave out of my life that might cause others to stumble. I must focus on the proper outcome when I go to the Word of God. Gypsy Smith was a British evangelist around the the time, the early 1900s. He was told about a man who uh, read the Bible over and over and over and said he wasn't getting anything from it. And he went to the man and talked to him, and he said, I've gone through it several times, but I'm not getting anything. And Smith told him, well, what you need to do is let it go through you once. That'll make the difference. That's that's what Bible study is. Let the word of God get in us, and go through us, and transform us. It is not given for our information, but for transformation. Let's pray.